The last time Seattle played Cincinnati was in 2019. I had more strands of hair on my head and you know, it was just what it was. I didn't know any of it. Time changes. And there was a guy playing for LSU called Joe Burrow. He was about to get picked number one in the draft. And the Seahawks beat the Bengals that day. And this year, it's intriguing. We've seen, Mark, sort of the jump that the Seahawks had last year. And they've been able to, to sustain what they've done so far in four weeks. They just, quite frankly, embarrassed the New York Giants on Monday Night Football two weeks ago. And it, it's weird because a, a week five bye is, is, is early. But that's just what that that's the the card that they were dealt, and they've had that time to sort of line up and, and relax a bit. And we, you know, you guys seen that thirty four to twenty win against your Cardinals that the, that the Bengals had last week, and to sort of see that situation with Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, guys getting getting loose, feeling more positive, and you can see that slowly but surely, Mark Cincinnati are coming back into it, and you you feel like this could be a game with a fresh Seattle team. A Cincinnati team coming into themselves. This could be one of the games of the week. Yeah, I think so. Like Seattle is kind of a funny one for me because yeah, they just had the week off. The week before that was the Giants one that you hardly had to watch because it was the Giants. You know, you weren't paying too much attention when they lost to the Rams. That was a coming out game for the Rams. Well, that was back in week one, right? And then when they lost to the Lions the next week, I I just didn't know what to think of them. They went on to beat the Carolina Panthers after that, but. I was surprised when James Scahill said on uh, the Scotland NFL podcast to us that he he doesn't really know could Seattle take a leap. I think they could, something similar to last year. They're working really well off play action this year because obviously with the running back room that they have and the receivers, like, yeah, in week one, Geno Smith didn't look too electric, but I suppose... People are hoping that he goes back to play, being absolutely lights out, which was kind of strange from last year. But they still have a really competent offense. The defense, what's been surprising so far, is taking a bit of a step back. But, you know, not you don't have to be firing on all cylinders at this point. You know, we're saying that the Cincinnati Bengals have just clicked and suddenly they're a powerhouse team. So it's like, I have faith in the Seahawks coming up good. And I'm kind of hoping for both teams, that, like you pointed out, because they're fresh now. That because it's against the Bengals, I hope that the Bengals show up again. Like I mentioned on that podcast, and Jason let you in here, again, I thought that the Cardinals, the score wasn't reflective of how good they were, certainly through three quarters. But the Bengals showed so many promising signs, and I mentioned them on the podcast, so if anyone wants to hear that, you can go back and listen to it. I'll let Jason actually have a say. But there was a lot, a lot, a lot to like from the Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow connection in particular, that it could be like one of those games now that has gone under the radar and people are like, whoa, who knew that there was so many levels to this game and so many aspects and different kind of creases to both teams that's worth paying attention to. I saw um, I saw a bet online and it's just one of those bets where you're just like, why didn't I think of that? It was like $50 returned eight grand and it was just spamming Jamar Chase, uh, like two touchdowns, two plus touchdowns, 150 yards, 10 t- catches, whatever it was. Um, but in hindsight, it just seems so obvious just because that Cardinals defense seemed like a good matchup for him to break out and have his big breakout game. I will just temper my expectations. I think the biggest thing that, to come from that game is that 
Joe Burrow looked good and he looked like he was able to move around. A couple of his touchdowns came from outside the pocket and um, he was just able to do things that he wasn't able to do earlier in the season. But I would temper my expectations. I think this will be a good test against Seattle who, you know, their defense isn't uh, a force by any means, but it's better than Arizona's. So it'll be interesting to see, can they keep that progress going? And if they can get into this by 3-3, three and three, it'll be a huge win. Is it by next week, isn't it? Or maybe it's two weeks. It's the by next week, and then they're the 49ers week, yeah. and Bills. I, yeah. I kind of thought they'd be doing well to get through this stretch at 2-2, at two and two, i.e. they'd have to beat the Cardinals and Seahawks. But like, I, I gave them no hope a week ago to win this game, and now I think it could be really good. Yeah, and it should be good on both sides of the ball because Arizona were able to move that on the... Uh, the Bengals defense I think we should see Seattle have some success with that play action if they can establish that run game I'd love to see the rookie wide receiver Jackson Smith uh, Nigba not sure how to pronounce that Jigba. in Jigba, um, in Jigba. I'd like to see him break out he hasn't had much of a role to play in the offense so far it is tough when you have you know two receivers like Lockett and Metcalf and you're operating out of 12 personnel a lot with two tight ends on the pitch but yeah, that'd be nice. That's how I think the Seattle offense can really take a, a next step forward if if they get another wide receiver, another weapon for Geno Smith to aim towards. But it should be a good game. Looking forward to it. And it's interesting when you say that there because that's kind of where Christian Watson came last year. He like had a slow start to the season all of a sudden like mm. broke out. And it was obviously for different reasons. He wasn't healthy and able to stay on the field. But that's what I'd be excited for with Seattle, that they have that crease, especially maybe they say they planned it after the boy come week six, this is when we're going to be able to knock that guy because Jackson Smith and Jigba, like, he is such a complimentary receiver and that's why everyone was excited for what could happen. I think that's why people are tempering the expectations of it being like, hey, we thought this was going to explode straight off the bat, but it hasn't. But Jason, I have to say, like, the way Joe Burrow was, like, just absorbing those hits the other day, like, he was taking sacks and making plays afterwards. That's what I was really impressed with. Yeah, and it's not... You know, I don't think I'd ever questioned his ability to take a hit, but his ability to kind of evade the sacks and, you know, step side to side and just seeing some of that mobility come back is definitely a huge thing for the Bengals' offense because they were so one-dimensional before that. You know, it was a case of not being able to stature in the pocket, not being able to move, looking at a first read if he's not open, maybe have time to look at a second read and then you're trying to get rid of it. Whereas if you can step around, move up, move outside the pocket avoid a bit of pressure that's where you can work through your progressions properly and that's when he's most dangerous because he is an absolute wizard in terms of breaking down a defense and um just beating a team with his with his mind you know so um being able to move around is huge arizona's pass rush isn't the strongest and they didn't manage to get him too much so it wasn't the toughest matchup if seattle can stress him out a bit more we'll see if he can still um you know, have a repeat performance, but it's definitely positive signs. Positive signs, not just for them, but for Seattle also generally, when you got Kenneth Walker, who is fifth in the list of running backs for the most games with at least two rushing touchdowns in the first 20 career games, shares that with Jim Brown, Eric Dickerson, Clinton Portis, Steve Van Buren. Um, yeah, this is going to be a great game, boys. It's going to be a great game. I'm going to take Seattle. I think Seattle are going to run all over them. It's a good, tough a one as well. Like the, like you have, 
Eagle, the Eagles and 49ers now really have just established themselves as the two best teams in the NFC. Lions may be right behind them, but the rest of the NFC is, it seems wide open. Like, and if a team like Seattle can push on now, um, it's there for the taking. So early as well, which is great. I love mm. it, boys. I love it. And um, headache. I'm enjoying this weekly segment. Enjoying it even more after my pick last week, Mark. Do I get a congratulations or a well done? Or who did we go with last week? I picked Jaleel McLaughlin. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, li- I literally looked him up today because <laughs> I was like, wait, how did he go again? Because obviously he didn't pay too much. Uh, yeah, no, he had a great game. I was actually surprised at how well he done. And this week, I'm going to stay. Similarly, I'm, I'm going to go early. So if people are listening to this on Friday, you can laugh at me. Uh, Broncos play the Chiefs this week in Thursday Night Football. There's more chance of me and Justin, me and Justin? Wow, me and Jason winning the Rosa Tralee together than there is of the Denver Broncos winning against the Kansas City Chiefs in Thursday Night Football. That being said, the reason I'm saying that is because Travis Kelsey's questionable at the time of recording. We're recording on the Wednesday night. Even if he plays, he'll be gone by the half because they'll be out in the lead that much. And I've got Noah Gray, backup tight end for the Chiefs. He's got, I think, I think so far this season, he's had like 140, 150 yards receiving. I'll take one or two touchdowns for Noah Gray. Garbage time tomorrow night. I think I think he'll light it up against Denver. I think this will be one of the worst Broncos performances in a long time outside of the Miami game, which I just don't count anymore. They're an embarrassment, and uh, I turned it off last week. And when I say I turned it off, I turned my phone off in the airport. Disgrace. Get them all out. Start again. But thank you, Jaleel, for making me look half decent in terms of analytical data. Uh, Noah Gray, at least one touchdown this week. I'm going to say two. Marcus, who are you going to pick from the Houston Texans this week? <laughs> Do you know what? I actually went for someone that we're going to see in London this week because I like being able to touch on the game a little bit. But it was one, not not a last-minute one, but it's because of its last-minuteness that I think it'll be a headache for the Ravens preparing for none other than DeAndre Hopkins. He had a game on the weekend. like He was poor, for lack of a better word, really through the first few weeks and it was kind of one of those that was like oh yeah that was expected he was never going to be the same player yada 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 he went off there maybe looked like there was a bit of chemistry between himself and Ryan Tannehill 8 for 140 he looked like a beast and I think that the Ravens were thinking they'll get to see him in London and he's not the player that they once were and now they're thinking well, we're going to have to focus on him this week you know he's not going to give us the week off so I think um, not that DeAndre Hopkins were going to definitely see lights out from him or anything but I think in terms of getting ready for him now this week it's like okay he's put up one game of film what can we take from that who you got Jason I like that that's a nice spin on the segment they don't have to produce it's a nice almost excuse getting out of the way early I like that Mark Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah I'm going to go with Jalen Carter on the Eagles uh, defensive tackle, the rookie, of course, who's burst onto the scene through five weeks. A few players I can mention on that Eagles defensive front, of course, but um, we'll go with Jalen. Amongst all defensive tackles in the league, not just rookie defensive tackles, Jalen Carter is first in pressures with 23, first in hurries with 17, and third in sacks with three and a half. Um, it's throwing a couple of forced fumbles there as well and I think it's safe to say that Jalen Carter is on pace for an all-pro season you know forget about defensive player of the year 
definitely think Nathaniel Hackett will have his work cut out for him uh, on Sunday to game plan against that whole defensive front. Jets have given up 15 sacks on the year, which is eighth worst in the league. And they just lost their right tackle, um, Elijah Vera Tucker, for the year, who's arguably their best offensive lineman. So with the amount of names on that Eagles defensive front, they're going to have a right tackle who's um, coming in off the bench. I can expect, I think I'll expect that Jaden Carter will have a few one-on-one matchups throughout the game and looking to hear his name called a couple of times on Sunday. One thing I want an end to just put an end to is the whole, how have, how did so many teams pass on Jaden Carter? We know exactly why teams passed on Jaden Carter. It's because of the character issues. He's producing just like everyone thought he could produce if he was um, put in the right environment in the right position. And he performed well off the field. And he's, that's exactly what he's doing. So fair play to him. But let's stop that nonsense of just ignoring the exact reason why a few teams are afraid to pick a higher up. Spoken like a true scout. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Jason. Because it's also like when teams are selecting then, it's not like everyone's like, oh, snap, we should have had Jason Carter. Everyone's thrilled with themselves on draft night. And it's like, yeah, there is a few teams that are off, will say Jen Carter. But we all know what happens. And it's exactly what you said that, he had the character concerns whether he was guilt, whether it was his fault or not. But it's like, give me a break on hindsight being twenty twenty, you know. Um, let's talk about the Ravens. The Ravens are going to London this week and they're playing the Titans. Titans home game. Um, and I know Mark and you boys were bringing up that you want to talk about the passing game. Obviously, for people wondering, you know, like they're they're in a situation where Lamar um is I think he's like eighteen for nineteenth in the league in points added per dropback. He the, the Ravens are currently 10th in offensive DVOA, which isn't doesn't really tell you much. They were 16th two seasons ago, but it feels like this sort of switch from Greg Roman to Todd Munkin hasn't really done much. Their offensive line um, has been sort of held back a bit. They're going in the right direction, but it feels, Mark, like it's taken time. And I've seen a lot of comments today. Like maybe I'm just wrong, right? A lot of comments on like a, a video of Lamar Jackson about Odell Beckham has... has has the wide receiver bum travelled to London? I couldn't believe the, the derogatory comments that were being used. He is in London. Uh, apparently, he's dealing with some ankle issues. He's expected to play a Sunday. What's the odds he doesn't play on Sunday? Do you ever hear about the time he went to London? Do you ever hear about that story? Uh, well, what's the story in particular? I, I know images of it. I remember a lad found him outside the hotel where, and he was wearing the Odell Beckham jersey at the time. But that's yeah, that, that that's what it was. I'll, I'll tell you about a different one on WhatsApp after. But the great guy, I have not hunted but good things to say. I went all Malcolm Junior. Go for it, Mark. Take the stage, my man. What do you reckon? No, I think you're right. I think that we were sold on this being behind Aaron Rodgers. This was the biggest story of the off season. Like how exciting and explosive it was going to be, and it's like it was supposed to happen straight at the gate. Now things don't always have to happen like that but like for such an exciting storyline I think it's been disappointing like so much so that you know when we were talking about this later game it was all like we're going to get to see it in person the the offense as a whole the team as a whole hasn't put up 30 points in a game yet like more than half the te- league has done that say Flowers is their leading receiver you can say he's his average per, t- per game is 28th in the league. I mean, that doesn't say anything about an explosive offense or a, an explosive wide receiver. And then you see issues like on the weekend, the miscommunication. Tyler Linderbaum thinks he has a guy offside and snaps the ball. Lamar Jackson doesn't expect it. He catches in. Like, they suddenly turn the ball over and fourth down. So it's like 
there's teething problems and then there's just like yeah like you said like they've prioritized the passing game which is great and there is some improvements I don't know if they're justifiable enough considering the hype but like if they can't get over their one biggest flaw it'll be for nothing and that's the drops it's like you could have the best scheme in the world but if you're gonna drop like we saw Rashad Bateman do in the end zone the other day he can bang the ground all he wants afterwards it's like it comes in and out of his hands the same thing for Nelson Aguilar in the third quarter it's like Lamar Jackson is playing phenomenal he's like he's worth the contract he's his pocket presence is moving it's all it's all phenomenal but considering the talent around him it's like it still seems to be all around Mark Andrews and it's like OBJ injury or not with his ankle he two catches for 18 yards the other day where's the explosion Michael enough I mean I think a lot of people thought whenever they seen the amount of money that OBJ was being paid um, I thought we'd get a bit more a bit more production chasing out of him maybe he's going to pop up because the last time I seen him play he hasn't done much since and that was nearly two years ago in a Super Bowl Jason are we going to see OBJ pop out and l- it would be typical Jason if he was to pop out with two or three touchdowns on Sunday in London and then go quiet for an hour six months yeah, like his stats is really lacking on the year. I know he's been a bit banged up, but I don't think he's cracked 40 yards yet in a game. To be honest, I thought that contract was massively overpaid when it was announced in the offseason. As you say, it's been a couple of years now before he's been the threat that he used to be. And it's funny that you picked DeAndre Hopkins as your headache pair. I think I've mentioned him a couple of times in this podcast now, but um, he went for less than OBJ and having watched DeAndre in depth last year as a Cardinals fan, like he, he has a lot more talent and a lot more left to give, I feel like, than Odell Beckham Jr. So I thought at the time that that contract was an overpay and I still think it's an overpay and it's looking like it, unfortunately, um, so far. I am glad, though, that, uh, you know, with the, with the problems with the Ravens passing attack, I'm glad there, Mark, that you mentioned how great Lamar Jackson has actually been because he is absolutely not the problem. And if you were to look at the box score, you might be fooled into thinking he's the problem. On Sunday, he had just 238 yards, uh, 38 attempts, no touchdowns and an interception. And you might, even if you look at the highlights of the game, you're probably just going to see that interception at the end in the end zone thrown towards Odell Beckham Jr. and make the conclusion, okay, Lamar Jackson was struggling. Absolutely not. Seven drops from the wide receivers. It was the third most since 2017 in the league. That's not even including Zay Flowers, who slipped on like a 50-yard-plus pass. Uh, Mark Andrews, who was his most reliable target, he had a drop in the end zone as well. He had another drop. I think every drop was for a first down, or two of them were for 20-plus yards, two were for touchdowns, and the rest were for first downs, I think. So these are massive game-changing drops. And if those receivers are making the plays when they're put in the right position, then... um, then we'd be talking about Lamar Jackson much differently through five games because he still looks just as dangerous on the, on the ground. And I don't think his stats are fully reflecting how good he's doing through the air as well. Um, He should be in the MVP, MVP conversations if the receivers were living up to their end of the bargain, to be honest. I'm so glad, Jason, that you mentioned there the interception in the end zone because PFF put out a tweet of the throw and they have it going straight to Joey Porter Jr., from Lamar Jackson and the little bullseye emoji. And I'm like, 
please Odell Beckham give your your quarterback some help and bat the ball or something he looks so weak he just like Joey Porter Jr. like beats him and like he's not keeping his hands down or whatever but like the way Joey Porter Jr. swipes his own hands it kind of blocks OBJ from getting his hands up to do anything and it just looks like OBJ is just standing there and I'm like you can help out your guy and make sure that that's not picked off and then it's like people will put it on Lamar being like he's throwing the pick and it's like he's doing everything out there it's like yeah if you do want to give him that one mistake that he's obviously partly to blame there but like when he's doing it all for the team it's like give me a break I'm surprised PFF put out that tweet because Lamar Jackson was their number one rated player on the week which again just sums up how the box score doesn't do it justice and you can't analyze a game just based on those stats it goes back to the July-August conversation with people that write 4,000 word articles that say the Ravens are going to be great this season and by week 6 they're, they're, they're deleting their tweets. But you know what, let's like, we have to, like, look, I have to, I have to say, I think I, I never gave into that wave, like, oh my god, listen, but I will say, and this isn't any kind of a shot or like patting on the back, two of our most prominent guests that we had on the off-season Colleen Wolf and Mina Collins were both saying this is the thing that the most exciting to see and like we all got swept up in it but there was plenty of signs that it wasn't like don't get me wrong we did do the talking about it too but it's like there was plenty of signs like I, I never bought into the OBJ stuff and I looked again this isn't the time for celebrating relapse oh we told you so Jason and I knew that the contract was never worth but it's like it was it was never going to just click straight away and they have plenty of work to do. And it's just frustrating when Lamar got his contract and it took what he did to get his contract to get it. And then they come out as flat as like, look, I'm not going to say they're as bad as the New England Patriots, but like the two the two wide receivers or sets of wide receivers look about as comparable or, you know, I'd be least envious of those two wide receiver cores as any in the league. Did it win on Sunday? The Ravens, I think the Ravens do, but sure, the Titans are so hit, hit and miss at the moment. It's like there's no idea, and then it's like, so what what injuries are we going to have for the Ravens? I mean, that's why they obviously lost against the Colts, but like they're one of those teams that is losing themselves, and it's particularly those drops. Like Lamar had 15 incompletions the other day, seven of them are drops. Like that's outrageous, shocking. And thank God for for them and their fans that are getting over there. So. So early in the week, and they can actually relax a bit. Lamar looks very happy to be out of the country, Jason. So, time will tell. Jason, come on over on Sunday. Come on. <laughs> we'll be more we'll time. Really about. Need a bit more time. It'll be worth the wait. Don't worry. I can't wait. Uh, we're going to finish off with a special this week. We're going to talk about an Irish rugby player that will make it in the NFL because, and here's the jinx we're all waiting for. I think we're going to win the World Cup, boys. Oh no, you are no, 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 we are. No, 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 no. It's just it's it's that. Oh, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't. Oh, you, you, you didn't say anything. The Guinness ad, for God's sake, Michael. Uh, I'm the boy. I, I'm the boy in the ad, on the Guinness ad that says, "I think we might like." Do you know, <laughs> what number of listeners just had there? Because I, I would be xing off this podcast in other. Don't x off the podcast. We, we need uh, you. We appreciate you. Jeff Rainbow coming January, February. Anyway. Back to that. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start off with my player. And I'm gonna make this short. I'm gonna make it sweet. The longest successful field goal in NFL history was done in September the 26th, 2021, by a team 
And we just talked about Baltimore Ravens, Justin Tucker, Johnny Saxon. I've no doubt, like, Johnny Saxon will be, will be trying out for an NFL team before the end of the year. What? You, what? Yeah. Based on his work or pedigree that people will give him a go? Look, uh, sorry, let me just rephrase that. Before Easter next year, Johnny Saxon will try out for an NFL team. So will somebody else. I can't say who that would be, but just leave it with me. All right. I'm speeches go on, Jason. Get, get me out of here. Would make a good chapter. I'll tell you who the other person is off camera. Wasn't there a story of Ron O'Gara trying in for the Miami Dolphins back in the day? I think it was complete bullshit. That's the LA Chargers. What did, what, did what was that thing that Ron O'Gara said again? Uh, les, les opportunities says oh, says right. enormous. <laughs> <laughs> Are we doing I, French on this podcast? I would believe I would believe that Johnny will do that uh, and I am of the opinion that there, there is somebody that's quite well known that will be doing that in the next not Johnny Saxon that will be doing something in the next six months and I can't say any more than that does that make sense? I'll tell you off camera that is that, yeah I can't wait to wrap this one up um, Jason you have to go first because, <laughs> Jason you have to go first because I have two that I don't know which one to go for, so I'll, I'll base it off yours. Yeah, I don't think mine's going to be actually trying out anytime soon, but I'm going to go with Corkman, Peter O'Mahony. I just feel I like um, flanker, you know, there might be a, a home for him in the tight end position there or something. You can see him being a good blocker, good at going up and making a catch. He won't have people to lift him up in a line-out, but um, maybe there's a new play to be made there in the NFL. But you know, he's a bit of a silent leader, fun guy. I served him in the off license I used to work at. He likes Corona. Did you? That's pretty much what I'm basing all this off. Yeah, BlackRock man. Um, so yeah, I think Peter O'Mahony could do well in the NFL. Well, I love that. And I know that Mark, just because he you know, he wants to get into the game on Sunday, he's going to pick Stuart McCluskey or Ian Anderson. Am I right? I have who I, I genuinely think they could have the talent to become an NFL player. Their measurables might be right, but I was kind of looking between Andrew Porter or Ty Furlong, the two props, obviously, because I, this is so <laughs> funny. I I was at the game the other day, the Scotland-Ireland game, and Andrew Porter jumps up and he's like, uh, they're after winning the penalty. And I did not come up with this topic. It was Michael came out with this idea, but I was like, geez, I literally thought at the game that Andrew Porter looks like an NFL player celebrating after a stop and fourth down. Like it's the same kind of situation, winning a penalty versus a stop and fourth down that I was like, whoa, eureka moment. But as I thought about it, coming closer to the um, podcast, I actually went and checked the measurables. Now I, I thought time for long, maybe just cause he's, he'll be 31 next month. Um, that they might uh, match up. But if you have a, an offensive lineman, you need to be about 6'3", at least, really. These lads are both six foot. This is incredible, lads, right? Andrew Porter is listed at 115kg. Tyg Furlong, 125kg. We know that those lads are huge. We know that those lads are massive. <laughs> if you compare that to an NFL offensive lineman, the lads are touching 145, 150kg. It's like, imagine... 
there's a 25 kg weight discrepancy with Tyke Furlong and the uh, the NFL offensive lineman that might actually be what prevents him, you know, when they're testing at the at the combine or whatever. That someone says a man as big as Tyke Furlong cannot be on the offensive line. I think that's the. Um, there's a reason why NFL players need oxygen masks on the sideline when they're uh, after doing a few plays or you know a big run or whatever. You have to be oh, building man, a I, 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 th- to I think we last out there on the pitch. I think I think Ty Furlong gets a big man TD in the NFL. Like one hundred percent. We've seen he has the hands to get it done. It's um it, it feels to me like so just firstly, um like I yawned and laughed at the same time there in a good way. I don't know what happened there. Yeah, that, long, look at. that lawn cost me the uh, social media moment of the week that we could put out. It's like it'll just be Michael yawning at my, <laughs> my take. <sighs> I'm just tired from London and over week this weekend. Let's just finish off. Look, you know, this is an NFL podcast, but very quickly, are we going to beat the All Blacks? I think we will. I, I think I actually I'm getting really into this, boys. I I worry for me and Mark and Sunday, Jason. I think people are going to look at us walking into the press box with sunglasses on. How are you getting on? <laughs> in, in all seriousness, it would be class. Like I, I really hope it'll happen. Please God, please Jesus. I got to the semi-final after it, so I have uh, very personal reasons for wanting them to get across the line. Because otherwise, I'd be going to see New Zealand versus Wales. One, that would be a useless game, and two, I'd be ready to see New Zealand. Oh well, yeah. Let's see. They've got the best anthem. Outside of Italy and France and Ireland, of course. Uh, anywho, right, that's it. Week six, the NFL season is upon us. Um, if you're a Broncos fan, good luck on Thursday night. Like me, I'll be watching on Friday morning. I'm not watching that. I, boys, I watched the Commanders against the Bears last week. I can't do it again this week. Uh, stay tuned for some great content coming your way all weekend, primarily on Instagram with someone X as well, NFL Ireland. London baby one last time this year before we get ready for Frankfurt in a few weeks Michael McQuaid Mark Hogan Jason Hayes presented by 888 Sport the official batting partner of the NFL this has been Pro Football Ireland Ireland's biggest NFL podcast if you've enjoyed it please like share subscribe and we'll chat to you soon give me a mug it's all good fun.